Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. We're going through these. We've gone through all of the trumpets and those parenthetical chapters, and we are starting into what I've titled the giving of the seven bowls. And so it's the final seven judgments from the Lord on the Christ-rejecting world. And so you have these, the giving of these bowls to, it's God is delegating the judgment to seven angels. And they're going out and they're going to be dispatched starting next week in chapter 16 to carry out the judgment. And so we're, we're jumping into the final, we're almost in the home stretch of getting to maybe my favorite chapter in the entire Bible, which is chapter 19, when the king returns. And he is coming back to rule and to reign and to sit on his throne from Jerusalem exactly like the angel Gabriel promised Mary before Jesus was even born. She, the angel promised her, your son would sit on the throne of David. That's a ruling political throne from Jerusalem that never existed when Jesus walked the earth. And so we're going to see that get set up in the next four or five weeks as we get to chapter 19. But we're going through the seven final judgments, the seven bowls, and we're going to have six and then there's a parenthesis, a break again in chapter 16, verse 15, just like the previous three, or previous two, I should say. But this time it's one verse, and it's Jesus saying one thing. So on, we're on slide five, the next one. Verse 15, 15, chapter 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. So of all the judgment poured out onto the earth, this is the climax. This is the fullness of. The, it's filled up. So these are the last plagues on a Christ-rejecting world, is what we're about to go through. And they're heavy. But God's wrath becoming full. And what I love about this is this volumetric concept is really all throughout the Bible. And it goes all the way back to what God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 16. God said, But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. See, Abraham was promised that his descendants, after four generations, would come back to the Holy Land. But they had to go to Egypt. They were imprisoned by the Pharaoh. They were in slavery. They were delivered by the Passover lamb. They walked through the Red Sea. They wandered the wilderness for a whole generation. For 38 years, they roamed the wilderness until Joshua and Caleb had the faith to go over through the Jordan into the promised land. But look at what God says in Genesis 15, verse 16. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. In other words, God knew that he had to give them space and time to repent and turn to him, but they would not. And so God knew that. 
which is why he said it's not yet full. There's a point at which sin gets so grievous, God must act. And that was what he was waiting on for the Amorites before bringing the children of Israel into the land. And so you almost have this dual purpose of God giving space and time for these people to turn to him, while at the same time giving his people space and time to finally accept and walk in the faith needed to enter the promised land, to enter into his rest, as he, as he talks about in Hebrews. So there's this volumetric concept, and you see it again in Revelation 18, speaking of mystery Babylon, the city Babylon, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. In other words, the sin of Babylon finally got so grievous, it's going to reach to heaven. It's kind of a volumetric concept again that, okay, a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, and it's going up, 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 until finally it reaches into the throne room of the universe, and God has to act. It's kind of that same concept. But here, the sin is full, and God's justice and righteousness can no longer rest. So this is the fullness of his wrath on that sin and that, that wickedness that really has gone throughout the world. Okay, slide six, Austin. So verse two, and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark. So three, three things that the people that are in this time period, the Christians are trying to seek victory over the beast, his image, and his mark. And we talked a ton about that in Revelation 13, where the false prophet gives life to the image of the beast and causes the entire world to worship the beast who, was, who had the deadly wound and then was raised again. So it's that false resurrection again. Okay, and over his mark, over the number of his name, remember that was three score, it was 666, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So the washing of water by the word for the church, and when you think about this from Ephesians 5, verses 26 and 27, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, that's us, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So we are without blemish because we are washed in the water of the word right now. These martyrs that survive the tribulation or that do, I should rephrase that, they're beheaded for standing for Jesus, but the ones that do not submit to the mark of the beast, they are standing on the sea of glass, whereas we are right now being washed with it, the water of the word, the regenerating water of the word. They're standing on it. And so there's a little bit of a, of a pun here by the Holy Spirit. But so we're washed with it. They get to stand on it for having victory over the beast, the number of his name, and the image. So again, at the end of this verse, having the harps of God, they have harps of God singing that new song. Remember, we talked about this in chapter 14 when Jesus has the 144,000 with him, that they have a new song that they sing that no man could learn. And that it wasn't that we won't be able to hear it and understand it. It's their testimony for what they went through during the seven-year tribulation. It's their song. So just like you have a song in your life, Chris sang about a song in his life today where he had to take something before the throne room of the universe, and that's a song that he gets to sing about that we can hear 
but unless you walk through it, you'll never really understand it. And that, so that's the difference, is that it's going to be a testimony. So God wrote a very special testimony on Chris's heart that he has stepped into, and because of that, he is using that anointing to teach and bless all of us through that song. And it's something that we get to praise God for. I will never understand what, and Ryan talks about all the time, about his being delivered from drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. And I, I don't have that testimony. I wasn't delivered out of that. God saved me at the age of eight when my dad left and saved me from all of that. So I have a different testimony. But that doesn't mean anyone's testimony is less worthy. It's just a different song that each of us get to sing to celebrate and praise God and, to, and really to strengthen the body. So it's a part of that strengthening. So whatever your testimony is, I would encourage you, do not hide it. Share your testimony. Share with people what did God do in your life because they can't argue with your personal testimony. You know, in a court of law, you have a personal testimony, a personal witness, an eyewitness come up and testify before the court on what happened, right? This happened, I saw it. And nobody can say, no, you didn't see that. They have to take it as record because you've taken an oath, you've, you've put your hand on the Bible and the Word of God, and you're swearing to this. It's kind of the same thing with your testimony. You have an eyewitness. You have a personal testimony that you get to share with your friends and loved ones that it's going to speak to them in some regard. And so don't, don't hide what God has done in your life. But notice here, the sea of glass that they are standing on, it's mingled with fire. And God's word right now, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, right, from Hebrews, dividing amongst the thunder, the soul, and the spirit. His word is life and death. So you either accept Jesus and you have life, or you reject him and you have death, you perish. And so what I love about this is that they're standing on his word. The water is life-giving, the fire is judgment cast down. But they're standing on it, and it's mingled because during this time, God is taking that other side of his word, and it's unfolding on earth. And, but through that, these angels are going around, they're declaring the gospel, they're preaching Jesus and salvation by the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus and no other. And, but you're seeing that division finally come to an absolute climax in the book of Revelation. Okay, so next slide, slide seven. Uh, verse three. And they sing the song of Moses. So these are the martyrs. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Okay, they're singing the song of Moses. The song of Moses, number one, it should show you this is not the church. Nowhere in the Bible does the church sing the song of Moses. This, the church is gone. The word church is never used in the book of Revelation ever again after chapter 3, when the church age closes. In fact, the whole book from chapter 4, verse 1 on, is very, very Jewish. It's the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes are sealed you have all of these judgments from God. In fact, you're going to see during the bowls, you go all the way back to Leviticus, what was the judgment for those that blasphemed the Lord? Well, it was, it was to be stoned. And we're going to see as we go through these bowls, people are still blaspheming Lord, the Lord, and he's rain, raining down talents of hellstones from heaven. 
So even that judgment is staying true, going back to the Old Testament. But the Song of Moses, so you can go to Deuteronomy 31. It shows up a couple places in Exodus, also a few places in Deuteronomy. But starting in verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. So God's predicting this, and indeed this did happen, and they got drug off to Babylon. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them. And we even see that as we're studying the book of Esther, that God's hidden behind the scenes, that uh, Esther's name means something hidden, and we're studying that in men's Bible study right now. The name of God does not even appear in the book, but he's actually shows up in a mighty way in the very structure of the text and in saving the people of God at the very end that the, the gallows they made to hang God's people are going to be the very gallows that they get hung on. And, and the Lord, the whole story is the Lord working in the background to make sure that his people are taken care of. I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And they're off base, clearly. And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought, in that they are turned unto other gods. So they don't get the picture, and you see this actually as they're taken out into the wilderness. I don't remember exactly how many days it was. I think it was two or three days after being totally delivered they fashion a golden calf and start praising it for their deliverance. And, and you laugh, you look at that story and you go, man, if I was, if the death angel went through the city and spared us because the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and I was delivered out of all these plagues, there was darkness on Egypt and light in my house and uh, the, the cattle of the Egyptians was slaughtered, but ours stayed so that we had food. And we walked across the Red Sea on dry land, and the waves crashed in and killed our enemies. There's no way I'd fashion a golden calf two days later and give thanks to it, right? But it's funny because we do the exact same thing. You know, something miraculous happens in our life, and you sit there and you kind of forget the root of it or the, the source of that provision and that deliverance shortly after. And you, and you just tell the story and you forgot, you forgot to give glory to God. It's amazing, too, they were looking for it as their source of provision and prosperity, and it's exactly what we do in this nation. Go walk on Wall Street, and you'll find one of the most iconic golden calves in the entire world. It's that big golden bull sitting on Wall Street. That's not a coincidence. It's because pagans look to Satan as the ox, as the bull, as the calf for their provision and not God. And so you can go, you go see that sometime. But now, therefore, write ye this song for you and teach it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. See, if you have the song of God, if you have his word in you, you're held to a higher standard. So it's one of the reasons Jesus spoke in parables to the Jews. Remember, he says in Matthew 12, seeing that they would not see and hearing that they would not believe because he knew they wouldn't. And so if he, if he continued to speak plainly, they would be held to a higher judgment. It was a form of mercy, but it also was for the church. So if you've got the word of God, you are held to a higher standard. 
For when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxed and fat, then will they turn unto other gods, and indeed they did, and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. And it shall come to pass when many evils and troubles are befallen them, that this song, the song of Moses, shall testify against them as a witness, for it shall not be forgotten out of the mouths of their seed. And it's interesting, it will not be forgotten. And here we have in Revelation verse 3, these martyrs that stood for Jesus have the song of Moses. And so God's promise right here in Deuteronomy comes to fruition all the way in Revelation. So Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it the children of Israel. Okay, slide eight. So the chapter opens, the same verse, verse three, and they sing the song of Moses. They, it opens with a sign in heaven, great and marvelous. So look at that. And the song of the Lamb saying, great and marvelous are thy works. God's works here in verse three are also great and marvelous. So the sign is great and marvelous. His works are great and marvelous. And when you go to Job chapter five, you can if you've got a good uh, Bible program, I like to use Blue Letter Bible, but if you just type in, in the search function, King James, Great and Marvelous, you can find all these places where it pops up all throughout the Bible. It's a great study tool. But Job 5 is one of my favorites. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause, which doeth great things, and unsearchable, marvelous things, without number, who giveth rain upon the earth, and sendeth waters upon the fields, to set up on high those that be low, and that those which mourn may be exalted to safety. Great and marvelous are his works. And in verse, in verse 10, who giveth rain upon the earth. We're actually, at the end of the service, we're going to pray for rain upon the earth, because we're, we're in somewhat of a drought here in Oklahoma. And Elijah prayed for rain. This is not working. Oh, it's getting out. you got to turn Is that better? Whoa. Why, hello. That is better. Wow, that's loud. Okay. So, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth water. So, at the end of this, we are going to pray for rain because, well, and the Holy Spirit prompted my wife about this earlier, that we need to pray for rain as, as the body of Christ. We Rain is a blessing from the Lord. When he provides rain on the earth, it's so it can yield its fruit, so that people are nourished, so that you have so many benefits of it. And Elijah prayed for rain in the Old Testament, if you remember. He's also one that stopped it as a judgment. But in Joel, it talks about, Joel chapter 2, it talks about praying for rain. So we're going to do that at the end of this. But I love that here in verse 10, I had this in the lesson before the Lord even spoke to Randy about that this morning. Verse 10 here, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters upon the fields. And that's obviously the, the king that we serve. So in verse 4, slide 9. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So in the end, everyone will fear God. The question is, will you go about it willingly or under duress when you finally enter his presence? That's the question. That's the question, really, that you need to ask your coworkers, that you need to ask your friends, your family members. How will you glorify God and speak to him and, and confess with your tongue? Look what the Lord said in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every, na- every knee should bow 
of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The people that are not saved today are going to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's just a matter of do they do it under forcibly, under duress, because they're in his presence and his glory, or do they do it willingly with a heart of submission? And, and you want to pray for the latter, that it's a submitted heart. So God's holiness, look at this, for thou only art holy, in, in verse 4 in the middle. See, his holiness, it's a special trait that you cannot grow in. You have to attribute from him. So a lot of his traits, loving, selflessness, giving, uh, patience, peace, you know, you might know people that are not saved that have those traits, but it's not from the Spirit. It's, it's from the peace of them that's made in the image of God. But they may be giving from a worldly perspective, right? I know a lot of people who are older and retired and have been very successful in their lives and have decided, wow, I spent my whole life climbing the wrong ladder and I need to try to make it right. And so they try to give away all this money thinking that it'll tip the scales, right, at the end of their days. And they'll try to work their way into favor with God. And there is no works to God. You cannot work your way into salvation. You have to attribute it from Jesus, his holiness alone. And that's what I love about this in verse 4. For thou only art holy. And look at this. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. So on the next slide, slide 10. Do all nations worship Jesus right now? Well, it says in verse 4, all nations shall come and worship before thee. It hasn't happened yet. There aren't many nations worshiping the Lord right now. In fact, I can't think of one. Uh, You used to be able to say that as America, as the United States of America, but you really can't anymore. We're not worshiping Jesus. We've taken his commandments out of our courthouses. We decide in the Senate that prayer is no longer allowed in school that was in the 60s sometimes, 60-plus years ago, and look what's happened. Our children have done nothing but decline in education since then. Every statistic in the nation for divorce, for education, for wealth, you name it, every statistic that we had going up in the 60s, at that one decree by the Senate, you can track from there over the last 60 years and watch how it's declined. The uh, risk of abortion has gone through the roof. Violent crimes through the roof, murder, you think about it, really look at it, really do some search on that, and you'll see that everything changed when we took prayer out of school. And the problem is because we as a nation do not come and worship the creator anymore, and it's why we teach evolution in school. It's it's an absolute lie. You can prove physics and science that there is a creator. Think about when a baby's being knit together in the womb, and you have a cell that's absolutely identical, and then it splits into two cells that are totally identical, and they split to four, and then eight, and then 16, and then 32. They're totally identical until all of a sudden a group of them start to become a backbone, and another group of them start to become a heart, and another group of them start to become brain matter, and a cerebral cord, and lungs, and bones, and this child starts to be put together Well, every cell was the same, so how did that happen? 
And scientists now know it had to be, it had to be because the information was coming from an outside source. Something was directing every one of those cells on what to do. When you cut yourself, how does your body know where the bleeding is, how to stop it, how to clot it, how to rebuild the skin? If you get damage to tissue, your body rebuilds it. See, you have to scientifically, they admit now that God has to be involved in every single cell division in every body on planet Earth at all times. It's from the creator. He does it. That information comes from an outside source. So all nations shall come and worship him, and they will. They will come and worship him. This is predicted all through the Bible. If you search this, there are more verses about this than there are about Jesus arriving the first time on earth. For everyone about his first arrival to die for us, there are eight about his second coming. And they, when he returns in power and glory, all nations will worship him. In Psalms 22, 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. Psalm 72, 11, yea, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him. Psalms 86, 9, all nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. It's all over the scriptures. Zechariah 14, 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. See, in Revelation 19, when all these nations are surrounding Jerusalem and Jesus returns and wipes them out with the word of his mouth, there's going to be survivors. And the ones that survive go into the millennium to populate the earth, repopulate the earth. And that's what Zechariah 14, 16 is talking about. It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, so they're survivors. All the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And we talked about that some last time, the Feast of Tabernacles. There's going to be a millennial temple. It's the last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And there's going to be nations that do not come to worship and to bring gifts during the Feast of Tabernacles. So rain does not follow them, fall on their nation. And it's predicted that Egypt won't. And we read that and we studied that a, a few months ago. But Egypt will not, thus they have no rain and they start to have a drought and famine in the millennium. And so it's amazing how that God is tied worshiping him to droughts. And we are unfortunately in a drought right now. Verse 5, and after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So the real temple and real ark of the covenant is in heaven, and it's opening here. What God gave to Moses and the children of Israel was a blueprint, a copy of the original. So Hebrews 8, 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was, as Moses was admonished of God, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith the Lord, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So the ark carried the testimony of God. And we call it the Ten Commandments, right? It's really the testimony. And what it means is it's a testament of who God is. You don't need to murder because vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. You don't need to steal because I'm your provider. You don't need to have any other gods before me because I will be your source and provision for everything. You don't need to worship other gods. When you go down all of those commandments, it's a testament of who he is, which is why it's referred to a lot as the Ark of the Testament. And one of my favorite of those ten is, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. 
God will, and it has a penalty tied to it. God will not hold him guiltless who takes thy name in vain. So taking the Lord's name in vain has nothing to do with cussing. It has everything to do with if you are an ambassador of the king, if you take on the name of the king, don't do it in vain. Don't be a carnal Christian. Don't be one that takes the name of Jesus and then squanders it and does not live for him. Don't take his name in vain. It's not, it's not cussing. It's not your tongue. Yes, that's important. Don't do that. Don't misunderstand. But it, you would think of if God wanted you to know 10 things to do to live the absolute best you can for him, I don't think he'd put cussing as one of them. He'd probably do something different. But if you don't take his name in vain, you then obviously will not cuss, and a lot of other things will work out in your life. But the Ten Commandments. So the next slide I had, slide 12, this pattern, and, and I'm sorry you can't see this up here. If you look behind you, you can see it on that screen. But just stretch, everybody stretch your neck, turn around for a minute. Uh, John 1.14, so the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So dwelt in the Greek actually means tabernacled. So it, what we know from John is that Jesus was the word. He became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us. In other words, something about the tabernacle from Moses, it was a blueprint of the heavenly reality and it, every aspect of it spoke of Jesus. So how is that? Well, when you think about the tabernacle, what was it? You get, there was one door in, and what did Jesus say? I am the door. When you got in, there was the sin offering, the, bra, the bronze altar. And Numbers 21 with the brazen serpent is all about Jesus. That's what he says to Nicodemus. Just as Moses raised the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up. There's the bronze laver, and Jesus said, I am the living water. So it was washing with the water, and he's the living water. Then you'd get into... The actual tabernacle, there's the table of showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. There's a seven-branch lampstand. I am the light of the world. There's the altar of incense. He's our intercession. There's the acacia wood overlaid with gold, which carried the Ark of the Covenant, which is the same wood they used probably on the crown, not really crown, the helmet of thorns they stuck on Jesus' head. It's also the bush that was burning to Moses in the wilderness, the acacia wood. And the outside of the tabernacle was covered in all these goats and ram skins and porpoise skins. They're bloody and nasty. Well, you wouldn't want to get in that building if you looked at it from the outside. And that's exactly like your relationship with Jesus from Isaiah 53 two. He has no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. And when you looked at it, there was no form or comeliness that you wanted to get inside of it. It wasn't until you got inside that relationship that you realized the beauty and the tapestry of these curtains and the ornaments and the fellowship with God in that place. And then, of course, the Ark of the Covenant rested on silver sockets, always speaking of blood. Silver's always blood throughout the Bible. So it's the Ark of the Covenant, the Testament, rested on no, no other than the blood of Jesus. And that's why Judas, remember, he portrays him for 30 pieces of silver, the silver speaking of blood. So you can track that down all throughout the scriptures. But that tabernacle, okay, ver, uh, slide 13, verse 6. We're just about done here. And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. So judgment always begins at the house of God. That's from 1 Peter four seventeen. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? That's a heavy statement. 
But this time, it only begins at the house of God. It's dispatched from the house of God. So you have this temple in heaven. The seven angels are dispatched with it. So we, too, are supposed to clothe ourselves with something on our chests in order to go to war on behalf of God. So if you notice at the end of this, the angels having their breasts girded with golden girdles. Well, I'm sure everybody's familiar with the armor of God from Ephesians 6. If you remember at the beginning of that, Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So our wrestling is not with corrupt politicians, with people that don't know the Lord. Our wrestling is with the spirits behind the throne that have bondage, them in bondage. So we have to pray against them. We've got to rebuke them in the name of Jesus. We have to pray for these people. There are, I know it's hard sometimes, but if, if you see someone that's in a leadership role and they are not living for the Lord, you have an even higher duty to pray for that individual. And so pray for the president. Pray for the people of this land that they get radically saved and that redemption happens and begins on Capitol Hill and spreads across this nation because we need it desperately. We need it as a nation desperately. But we need to clothe ourselves with that. So Ephesians 6, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And that's not your righteousness. Again, that's righteousness from the Lord, the most holy. Okay, slide 14, verse 7. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And in my notes, I just wrote, uh-oh, because this is, this, is bad news. <laughs> this is bad news. So they have the full, can you imagine the fullness of the wrath of God? I, I cannot even fathom you know, the Lord, we often think about what Jesus had to endure on the cross. But think about what the Father had to endure for a moment. Think about how he had to allow it. He had to sit on his throne in heaven and allow his son to be ridiculed, blasphemed, put to scorn, to shame, to be spit on, to be mocked, and then to be scourged. He was beaten so badly, Isaiah says, that he didn't even look like a man. He was beaten that bad. And they tell you in Isaiah, the Lord says that they ripped the beard off his face. And so you can imagine the scar tissue that was there. You don't don't learn that in the Gospels. That detail's not there. But just imagine the father having to endure that and how badly he probably wanted to get up and just send legions of angels to wipe him out. Just start over. (laughs) So I just, I cannot... I don't have words to describe the fullness of the wrath of God, but the word here, it says vials in the King James. The word is fiale, and it's in the Greek, and it means a broad, shallow bowl. So think of it if you've ever seen one of those little shallow bowls where you could have incense burning or like a smell-good stick or something. I don't even know what that's called, but you know what I'm talking about. And you have the little thing that you set it in, and you light it on fire, and it smells good. It's kind of like that. Think about that, like a deep saucer. But so they have, these angels have the seven. So the almighty, holy, righteous God, his wrath is been, has been basically given. It's been distributed to these seven angels, and they're going forth. Okay, the last verse of the chapter. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple. I don't think I'd want to till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. 
So at times throughout the Bible, God will remove people from his presence while he works. You see that a lot. Jesus did it in Matthew 9, and when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid rose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. So this time, though, in Revelation 15, 8, he's putting us out of the house for judgment, not for a miraculous raising of the dead. And it's, it's almost as if you cannot stand before the wrath of God, so get out. Get out of my temple for a minute. I've got some work to do because I have to prepare the earth for my son's arrival. I've got to prepare the earth for him to ride back in Revelation 19 on that white horse, and we're with him according to Titus 3 and Colossians and lots of verses, and we're going to have our own white horse as a gift from the Holy Spirit, and we go down with him, and Jesus is going to make it right and set up his kingdom, and he is going to restore the earth, and he is going to set up his kingdom There's a 75-day window from the book of Daniel. There's the sheep and goat judgment. We're going to study that when we get to Revelation 19 from Matthew 25. He spreads us out and sends us to whoever he has us to be dispatched to serve him. And I don't know what your inheritance is going to be. I don't know what mine's going to be. But it's going to be amazing. And, and I jokingly say, tell the guys this all the time in Bible study that, hey, I may just get Mount Scott in Lawton, Oklahoma, and I'm good with that. As long as I make it and I've got a place... I am totally good with whatever. If he wants me to be the janitor here at K-Life, I am, I'm good with that. Whatever he's got for us. So the last, last phrase, or last slide, 16. Praise God that the church is not appointed to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So if his judgment cannot rest once sin is full, we've got to, we better get ready to go home. So you, you need to get serious about your relationship with Jesus and serious about are you living with him, for him, and are you studying his word and all that you do? Are you giving everything you have to him? Are you running the race that he set before you? Are you serving him in a radical way in your place of employment with your family? Are you talking the truth? Are you studying the truth so that you can share it? You know, 1 Thessalonians 4, all about the rapture, it says, comfort one another with these words. And it's comforting because you're not appointed to it. And we're going to talk about it a lot when we get to Revelation 19 on why we're coming back with him as his bride. And it has to do with the Galilee wedding, the Hebrew wedding. It's a model of the rapture and us coming back. We'll get into a lot of those details, so hit, saying, sit tight. But I think the last slide we've got is, is get into the Word of God. And we talk about this every week. What is faith, the trinity of faith? What is it? Hebrews 11.1, 1, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the faith is actually defined as Hebrews 11.1. 1. A lot of people don't realize in the church that faith is defined in the Bible. And you could ask a 1,000 people and get 999 different answers, but it's defined for you. And why is it important? Hebrews 11.6 for without faith, it is impossible to please him. So if you cannot please God unless you have faith, if you're like me, you'd want to know how to go get it. 
What do I need? What do I need to be pleasing to God? Well, if you need faith, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the only way you can get pleasing with the Lord is to be in the word. And like we talked about in John, the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So when you sit in the word of God, you literally get to sit with the author and creator of the entire universe yourself and let all of that just burn off of you and let him refine you. He's a consuming fire, a refining fire. So when you're in the word of God, he will show you things in your life that you need to get right. He'll show you things in your life that, okay, I don't, I, I've not fully submitted this to Jesus. I need to do that. So in order to do all of that, though, you've got to know him. And if you don't know him, it's simple. It's Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. That's it. So if you're watching this online and you don't know the Lord, if you've not been saved, it's really simple. Just get on your knees and cry out to God that he is king and savior and that you confess your sin, that you are humbling yourself before him, and you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit into the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus from Romans that after that, when you get into the word of God, that's when Jesus turns around and baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. And you start, and that's from Acts 1, Acts 1 and 2. And then you can start to walk in that authority. We had, it's been an awesome week at New City Church. And we had, we had several miracles happen this week. I'll say the, the third one's the podium, because it's amazing. But, and, and what a miraculous move of God to stop these from being shipped so because he knew Cody was going to do this. But there is a, we'll tell this testimony at some point and, and not to, yes, and then people need to hear. People need to hear, Randy. So G- Jesus is still in the miracle working business. And, and I'll let Randy share this, this testimony. Maybe she'll do it. Can you do it next week? You'll do it next week. Okay, we'll see. We'll pray about that. You guys pray that Randy gets up here to share this next week. She needs to share this. There was a lady healed from cancer this week through the obedience of my wife. And it's, it's all glory to God. It's all glory to Jesus. It is a miraculous move of God. We had a, a very dear friend of ours that got delivered also from being tormented by demons for decades. Uh, God is moving in a place in this church where he wants the spirit to move freely and to work. People are still being healed. People are being delivered. People are, are growing in their faith and walking in the boldness and authority of Jesus. So just get into the word. You're going you're gonna to be on a wild ride here soon. It's going to be amazing. So with that, I'll just close us in prayer and we'll, we'll break. Thank you guys for being here today. And I apologize for the screens again. We'll get this fixed up. Lord, we just thank you so much for everything you've given us. God, we thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you for chapter 15. God, the dispatching and the delegating of your wrath and the authority that you're giving these angels at this time. And Lord, we just thank you that we get to sit in the throne room of the universe in your presence as all of this unfolds, God. And that, Lord, you have a special place for us in this time before we go home. That, Lord, you are preparing us to be an unashamed bride walking for you and walking in the authority that you have given us with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Lord, it is an esteemed privilege that we do not take lightly. God, if there's anybody listening to this today that does not know you, we are praying for their salvation. 
In 2 Peter 3, God, your will is that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And from 1 John 5, God, we know that anything we pray in your will, that you hear us from heaven and that you stand up and you act and that we are to have confidence in you acting. And so, Lord, we know that when we pray for someone's salvation, we are literally praying your will and that you act and that we should have confidence that you will act and reach that person and pull them into everlasting life. So, God, we are just praying for the salvation of anyone listening to this around the world that does not know you, that you would meet them there and that you would save them. God, we thank you so much for this congregation. We pray that you would continue to knit together these families to serve you. And God, as we are in a drought right now, we are praying as Elijah did and as Job declared and as Joel declares that, Lord, you are the giver of rain from heaven and that, Lord, it is a miraculous gift from you and a blessing on a people that seek you. And Lord, just know that there is a remnant here in Edmond, Oklahoma, that is seeking you fervently and is looking to you for all things, for our supply and our need. Lord, we are just praying that you'd radically break open the windows of heaven and that you'd pour rain out upon this land so that there would be fruit yielding once again, that farmers could work and have a living, that people could be have the lakes full again, Lord, have the, have the rivers run full and no longer be dry. And Lord, we are just praying that you'd break it and let it be a season of rejoicing and a season of miraculous rain from you. Lord, we are trusting in it. We are thanking you for it. And Lord, we are going to walk confidently in it. So Lord, we love you so much. Be with all of us in the day ahead, in the weeks, in the months ahead, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.